0: It's New York, Yo, it's a New York, yo, it's a new And welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Keita St. Cyr, a burlesque performer, producer, fire spinner, fire eater, Renaissance Fair performer, and actor, hailing from New York City. A two-time guest on the Crash Chords podcast, episodes 45 and 129, Keita chats with Matt about some developments in her life, including her recent hiatus from and triumphant return to burlesque. They explore her background and training with fire, and exactly how one becomes a fire eater, spinner, and dancer. They talk about her new monthly show at the Waystation called The Keita Saint Cyr Show, her first summer performing at the Renaissance Fair in Tuxedo, New York, and why she has retired her Tiki act, and so from the importance of self-awareness and growth as a performer to Keita's love of comic books. Here's presenting Matt Storm and Keita Saint Cyr.
1: And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I'm here with Keita St. Cyr, who is no stranger to Crash Chords. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Um, you've been on two previous episodes of the Crash Chords podcast. Yeah. Um, the first episode you brought Taboo, which was a bizarre review, to say the least, <laughs> um, based on some of the stuff that you actually used in your burlesque acts. Um, and then you brought us something you were a fan of, um, which was K-pop, um, uh, two... Uh, to anyone it's pronounced, right?
2: Yeah, 21. Or 21. Like the number 21.
1: And uh, which we reviewed and we all actually found a lot that we liked in it considering it was somewhat foreign to us, especially yeah. Steve who had no idea what to do with it. <laughs>
2: I like that he turned it into a concept album, though.
1: Yeah, which, like, none of us saw coming, but actually made a lot of sense, all things considered. It really did. Um, So I'm glad to have you back on the show. um, Since we last spoke in podcast format, Um, you took a brief hiatus from performing burlesque. You're still producing a little bit and focusing on some other stuff. And dabbling here and there um let's start with that what made you decide to take a brief hiatus from performing
2: um so this time (laughs) right
1: because you know anyone who's done any art long enough you you tend to step back from at least some point
2: yeah so in 2014 I took like a real purposeful hiatus Mm -hmm. where I'm like I'm just I'm gonna stop I'm gonna try to focus on a lot of different things I tried to pick up too many new skills. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I dabbled in anything, basically. If, if it's physical, I tried it. Um, this time, I wasn't mad at burlesque or anything. i was just yeah. like, I want to focus on fire, which mm-hmm. is what I've fallen in love with. And I... Got cast in the New York Renaissance Fair,
1: which was really cool to see you in. It
2: was so much fun, and I'm in love with it. And I still like lately. I've been having conversations with Dolly Mops, my character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the town harlot, mm-hmm. and she also fights the pirates using fire breathing mm-hmm. um, on behalf of the navy. Um, and and Her Majesty, the Queen. Um, but yeah, so I've been focusing on fire and Renaissance fair performing and just things that I can do in front of families. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: burlesque isn't necessarily family friendly. It's
2: not family friendly, um, but I love it and I'm still doing it. I'm just, lately, I'm doing a lot more of the production end.
1: Right, well, and so I know you produce at Lady Stardust. Yeah. You have a, is it a weekly show?
2: It was weekly. I'm stepping away from Lady Stardust just because that format has been a weekly every Thursday. Mm. And suddenly, where all of my 2017 shows were on Fridays, now everything is on a Thursday. Gotcha. Uh, Which is great if you live in New York City, Thursday nights are popping
1: yeah, there are a lot of shows on Thursdays. <laughs> yeah, um, magical girls burlesque, who we're both uh, familiar with, had to actually shift a Thursday show to Fridays because there were literally a thousand shows.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and so with that shift and focusing on fire, I know you've actually incorporated fire into some of your burlesque acts. Yeah. Um, did that? Was that always the goal, or did it just feel natural after learning fire? Um,
2: I think it just felt natural after learning fire, and like. You know, I'm a performer and now I have this thing that I'm in love with, but also it's a tool in my kit, um, Mm -hmm. which is not. Really, it's kind of a disingenuous way for me to describe fire. I don't, I don't think of it as being a tool in my kit. I think of it as being a way for me to express myself physically and create new characters and create new ways of explaining characters that I've already played with. Mm-hmm. But since the stages I have access to are burlesque shows. That feels like the most natural transition to be able to perform fire where I'm already being booked. Sure. When it's legally possible.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and so, um, going back to the renaissance fair really quick, so Dolly Mop, the character that you play, did you create her on your own? Did they say come up with a character?
2: Um, so usually they say come up with a character. Mm -hmm. For me, because I was being booked as a fire breather, there's this pun, basically my whole character is based on a pun. Right. Uh, where at one point during the battleship scene, they call... They yell like, "Call forth the fire ship," and fire ship is like a Renaissance term for like an infested prostitute. <laughs> and so they're like, "Would you mind being the town harlot?" And I'm like, "Absolutely not." <laughs>
1: um,
2: but I tried to play with it and you know not not play a stereotype sure, <laughs> too course. much. Like I I wanted it to be me. I wanted it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tali Mops is the harlot with a heart of gold. Mm. She skips, she dances, she sings, she plays with children. She very vehemently does not believe in fairies. Um, that's
1: that's got to be rough. There are <laughs> a lot of fairies in that forest. I
2: can't see them.
1: Uh, that's true. That's true. You can't see them. No,
2: I can only see them with the power of a child's magic. So if a child <laughs> wants to hug me or give me a high five, I can very briefly see a fairy.
1: Oh, interesting. (laughs) Um, And so, um, did you audition for the Ren Fair? Is that how you got the gig?
2: Yeah, I auditioned. As a fairy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, <laughs> I had purple hair mm. at the time, right. and I knew that if I was going to audition, I would have to make an honest effort to cover my tattoos. It's not really physically possible, but I'd have to make an effort, and I would have to dye my hair a color that occurs in nature. Right. Um, I didn't want to dye my hair a color that occurs in nature, so I was like, "Fairies can have colorful hair. I'm going to go as a fairy." So even though it's not a costumes call, yeah, I showed up in costume <laughs> <laughs> as a fairy. <laughs> Um, I made myself these big metal like elf ear things. I did a dance with some silk fans. My ears fell off. It was <laughs> dramatic. Um, and then I sang a song from Elsie She Is, which is the uh, Marx Brothers revival musical that I was in in 2012. Was it that long ago?
1: Yeah, Melody Jane was in that too, right? She was the lead, and
2: I was part of the ensemble. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, So I sang a song from that for my audition, and... They're like, all right, so, like, tell us about you. And I'm like, I really want to be a fairy, and I breathe fire. (laughs) And they're like, okay. (laughs) Um, And I definitely said some other things. I don't know what, but basically I opened my mouth, and they're like, you're not going to be a fairy. (laughs) 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 Fairies don't talk. They communicate through sign language. Um, And I'm a smartass, so they need to have me somewhere that I can speak to people and preferably be a little raunchy. Sure. Yeah. So I did that.
1: That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. And did you ever, did you always have an interest in the Renaissance Fair, or is it something that you kind of just discovered?
2: I, I liked the idea of it. I went to it once when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and, you know... The, the,
1: the one that you're working yeah, at, the, Tuxedo? Yeah,
2: the one up in Tuxedo. I went to it once in high school and liked it, but I think I was still in that age where you're too cool for
1: everything.
2: <laughs> and then last summer, not this past summer, the summer before that, um, it was my sister's 30th birthday, and I wanted to do something silly. For her. So we all got together and piled into a van and went to the Ren Fair. And I was like, I live here now. That's it. I'm here. <laughs> this is where I live. Just keep me. Um, and I obsessed about it and I talked about it online nonstop. And people were like, okay, relax. Here, meet these people. They right. will help you. And
1: well, the funny yeah. thing is, that there's this weird <laughs> undercircle of New York that are Ren Fair people because my wife used to work at the Ren Fair both here in New York and in Arizona. And I think the one in LA maybe also or California. But then there were groups of her friends that I met that also worked the Run Fair that I didn't know, like Three Pints Shy yeah. and that group. And but I knew them through like because she was an actress and then they also ran in the burlesque circles a little bit. And like I didn't realize how much interconnectedness there was with a lot of New York's nightlife scene. And and the Renaissance Fair until years later.
2: It's so funny because basically anytime at the way station now, I'm like, hey guys, I was in the Renaissance Fair, and everyone's like, yeah, so are we? Yeah, like so what? (laughs) Yeah, cool. One year, whatever. I was born there. I'm like, fine. I'm not cool. Leave me alone.
1: Um, but it, it was also really cool to watch, as a bystander, your evolution with with fire and fire breathing. Because I know you were always really into it and fascinated by it. But watching you start to reach out on social media about it and start talking to certain people who did it. Um, and then, like, grow with it. Um, how When did you really start practicing it? And how long did it take you to become experienced with it? Because obviously there's always new things to learn. So saying necessarily mastering it probably takes a while. But how long did it take you to feel confident with it?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely not a master at it. Uh, (laughs) And I might have even gone on stage with it too early. I personally, don't regret that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I may have. I definitely was not the smoothest with it the first couple of times I went on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I started studying fire eating, specifically. Um, I reached out to Nelson Lugo, because mm-hmm. I know that he was doing some fire eating, and I shot him a message. I'm like, hey, I really, really, really want to make this happen. I'm so fascinated by it. Teach me your ways. And... I think this was like four or five years ago now. Um, And he did, we had a couple of lessons. It was great. Mm -hmm. Um, He was very like safety conscious. You know, he drilled that into me very early on, which Mm -hmm. was wonderful. And he also gave me my first torches, which was really sweet. Oh, awesome. Um, So I was able to practice a little bit, not on my own. I had a safety, but a little bit um, without him once I got comfortable doing it. Excuse me. Um, and then I started studying with Patrick at Coney Island, Mm -hmm. um, and he is probably one of the best fire performers in the world, um, which he would hate (laughs) me saying, but it's true. Um, and he teaches at the Coney Island Sideshow School also. He's just so smooth and fantastic, and I still workshop with him every once in a while. He's still trying to drill some good habits into my head of... Making sure that I am very intentful and theatrical in all of my movements because mm-hmm. I am every other moment of my life. I should also be when there's fire. Right. You know, it's fire and it's beautiful and it, it's still a problem. Um, then, after I was studying with Patrick for a little while, I discovered the Floasis, which anyone listening, definitely check out the Floasis if you're interested in studying fire or fire spinning or juggling or any kind of circus stuff. Um, and they're great. They have regular fire spinning classes. Fire eating classes are a little bit more hard to come by there. Mm-hmm. So I started studying fire fans there. And mm, I went to Wildfire, which is a retreat, which is amazing. It's like a weekend where you go camping and it's all just workshops the I feel like weekend. I've heard about
1: that before. A
2: lot of hippy-dippy fire people are like, and it's very nerdy. It's like, it's our people. Right, sure. Yeah. Um, and it's great cause it's very like community oriented. So you go and you take these fire workshops, but also like if you're there, you're volunteering to make the event happen. Sure. So you're making breakfast in the morning or you're like fire safety in the evening for the spin jam. you you have a role no matter what, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great way to build community and meet new people. Um, and Fernando actually learned how to spin fire at Wildfire 2, which was really cool. That's cute. really
1: cool. It was
2: great. He was spinning dragon stuff. He had no fear. I was like, what is your problem? How I do mean, you just pick up all of this fire? And you're like, yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs>
1: I, I've met him, and he's one of the sweetest men I've ever known. But he also gives no shits. Like, when it comes to fear or, like, people's impressions of him, he's kind of left that at the door ages ago. He seems very fearless to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And he's seen a lot of things over the course right, of his life. Right, which is like, know.
1: it was always funny, like, when I had him on the show, and we were talking about a lot of different things, I got the sense of, oh, like, you actually lived a hard life for many, many years. My <laughs> white guy, little boy, suburb hard life is nothing compared to, like, the actual shit you've seen. Yeah,
2: like, an actual, like, political refugee who escaped right. to this country at a very young age. Yeah. But that's
1: um, really cool, um, that, <laughs> that you both learn this skill and and yeah. can talk about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then I studied, um, with Shade Flamewater when he came here, and... And finally, I got the courage to mix my two worlds of burlesque and fire and reach out to Satan's Angel, which was terrifying. <laughs> um, Satan's Angel was a burlesque performer in the '50s and '60s, mm-hmm. and she was the person who perfected fire tassel spinning. Mm-hmm. She's the mother of that art form. She's the queen of the fire tassel, and she only teaches one person per area.
1: Oh wow!
2: Uh, how to do this thing? So like the the group of sanctioned fire queens is very small and i'm the only sanctioned fire queen in new york
1: that's amazing yeah
2: i'm the first performer of color to be sanctioned i might be the only one because she's supposedly retiring wow
1: so (laughs) that's really cool yeah
2: So I like, I have a title in burlesque, it's weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you've been doing burlesque a long time now. How many years have you been performing burlesque?
2: Almost a decade.
1: That's crazy.
2: It's weird.
1: Did you ever foresee, like, I, I was talking, to, I've talked to many burlesque performers, Victor Devon and Nasty Canasta, let me get those names I dropped. Um, <laughs> but like all these performers I've talked to who have been doing it a while are always astonished at how long it's been. And even me, like being a DJ in the business for six or seven years now and only starting to host Within the last year or so, it just seems weird to me. Like, it's this weird time warp of both, it feels like it's not been that long, and I feel like I've been doing it forever. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's really funny because I, I talk about things like I'll say she is or mm-hmm. like every once in a while, someone will bring up Rhinestone Follies, and I'm like, that was a million years ago. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, maybe it wasn't that long ago, only eight, Years.
1: <laughs> but I also know that since we last spoke, also you've been hosting more too. Yeah, like especially you have a show that you're doing at, at the Waystation with Wassabasco.
2: Yeah, the Key to Saint Cyr show. Cause Catchy I, title. I am all about subtlety <laughs> and being modest.
1: Oh, totally. <laughs> but like, I remember the first time I saw you host. I mean, I always knew you as a charismatic person because I've known you for a long time. But to see you uh, be able to. A show that on stage was really cool. Did you always want to host and just worked your way up to it, or is it something that you weren't sure that you wanted to do?
2: You know, the first time I hosted, it was because it was easier than having to book anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> legit. Like, Rhinestone Follies went on tour. We did an East Coast tour, and I did not want to reach out to people in every state we were hitting. And, like, one of the places was a tattoo show. It was It was too much. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm just... I can't shut the hell up. I might as well just give myself a microphone. And it worked. I went on stage. I did a little bit where I read um, Cosmo Sex Tips from the Fifty Shades of Grey issue. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> they're beautiful. They include things like, poke him in the butt with a fork.
1: <laughs> sure, okay. All right.
2: Why, Cosmo? They're,
1: they're putting out a new movie, too. There's apparently a trilogy. And Fifty a...
2: Shades Freed. I saw parts of Fifty Shades Darker the other day, and I was really confused. I was like, what? That's not how you spank a butt.
1: I've I've still never (laughs) seen the first movie, and I'm grateful. I've read excerpts of the first book, and that's about as far as I can get without going insane.
2: (laughs) I have not read any of the books. I only accidentally saw scenes from the movie because I was flipping through channels. I was like, oh, this is probably a little sexy. It's not. It's not even a little sexy.
1: Wow, <laughs> what's well, funny, like, that? as a kid, you gotta th- you think as a kid like, oh, a movie with like sex in it, like this is gonna be so hot, no, no,
2: no. those actors had no chemistry.
1: I mean also, like <laughs> me as someone who's been in the burlesque world for as long as I have. I feel like it's strange, like, of course, the naked body is still sexy, but there are moments where it's just like it kind of washes past me now, like I have conversations with performers. Backstage, And whether they're wearing clothes or not is not a thing I even process. I'm busy yeah. working on whatever show we're doing or thinking about that. And it's just very funny to me because if you told, like, 12-year-old me that I'd be around hot, naked men and women all the time, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Excuse me? <laughs> You'd be
2: like, yes, please. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. I've
1: got work to do.
0: It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, and a
2: lot of times we're just we're not really being overtly sexual. Like at the Magical Girl Burlesque show this Friday, I am stripping as Princess Lolly from Candyland to a J-pop song. I
1: can't wait. I oh I'm so God. bummed. I'm gonna actually miss that show, but <laughs> you I can't. are. Yeah, I'm working. I'm DJing a Wasp show that night.
2: Oh, okay, that's fair. Right. Which uh, show is that
1: night? That's a uh, City Winery. Okay. It's a late night. City oh, Winery that's right.
2: Show. Oh, I wonder if I could hit both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Reyna told me about her battleship idea ages ago, and I think it's stupid and brilliant. So dumb. and uh, And it's a charity show, which is really exciting too, because yeah. I feel like... I mean, there are plenty of charity shows, and I, I love that about the burlesque community. That's actually something I want to talk to you about now. Not getting into the details of the why, but you recently did a charity show... Well, uh, for Lady Stardust for three performer friends of ours who yeah. are going through the shit right now um, and we'll leave the details to the internet. But um, was that something that the three of them approached you about? You just wanted to help.
2: I just wanted to help. I'm like, I have a weekly and I don't always know what I'm doing with it but like, uh, the hardest part of doing a charity show is finding a venue. Right. And when I can say, hey guys I have a venue, I have a night, date, time, lockdown, I will do all the graphics just like show up And do a good thing for people who have helped other people out so many other times. Sure. Um, Especially like Bunny has a fundraiser show regularly. Like Resistance was a show that would donate funds to a bunch of different charities. So it's cool to be able to give back to someone who gives to the community.
1: For sure, at yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that that was fun for me to DJ because I'd never been in the space before. But they gave me a microphone at the soundboard so I could heckle the <laughs> host. And I'm so much, I'm so much happier it was Victor than you. Although I probably would have heckled you too, but it was way more fun to heckle Victor <laughs> because I like you more. I'm kidding, Victor. I love you.
2: We all love you, Victor.
1: Um, uh, he's a guy who, as we're recording this, because this will be out um, about four days from now. His his debut podcast of We Burlesque just came out with Lillian Bustle. And I remember after 10 minutes of listening to him and Lillian talk, I got so angry that he's so charismatic and it sounds like he's been recording for years. I mean, he's also a theater person and all that other stuff, yeah. but I just remember having that half jealousy moment of going, damn you, you're good.
2: <laughs> he really is. Even just the way that his voice carries is so oh. beautiful.
1: He's one of the performers that, and I put you in this group, I put him, I put uh, Nasty, like these performers who are good at giving face. Yeah. Like just these, these these performers who can do dramatic facial moments where in in, in burlesque where you're considering you're, you're looking at the body more than the face, but I, I disagree. Like for me, my favorite burlesque acts are the one that the whole body's into it, including the face, making either stupid expressions or sultry expressions or whatever else is yeah. just always... Really uh fascinating to me. So I can't remember. Do you have any theater training?
2: Um, not really. I mean, you know, the the improv academy at New York Renaissance Fair now is something under my belt. But right. um I've taken theater classes in school, but nothing serious. I was fun fact. A theater major for about three months. Wow. (laughs) Um, And during those three months, I had no theater training. (laughs) And I only majored in theater because I wanted to focus on historic costume design. Aha. And I couldn't get into a fashion school at that point. Mm. And then I did. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to focus on the thing I actually meant to focus on because I'm a... At the time, I was a graphic artist. So, right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, well, I mean, actually, talking about you being a graphic artist, one of my favorite things that you did, I think this was last year, although time blurs together, is you kind of created this, um, the Ten Commandments of making good um, graphics and posters for burlesque shows. Oh, that
2: was bitchy as hell. But,
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It was necessary. Uh, it's it just, yeah. it just It was fascinating to me because, you know, as someone who only recently is being billed and, like, it's still weird to me, like, I'm a feature of the show, like, I didn't care about a lot of that stuff, whereas I do now because I'm a social media whore, and I'm trying to get my (laughs) brand out there, finger quotes. But, like, I just didn't look at that that much because I'm a passable graphic designer, but, like, audio is where I, I, my strengths are. But reading that, like, you brought up stuff that I didn't even think about that made sense, but it's like, oh, did that just come from seeing these flyers that were less than impressive or wanting this industry as a whole to grow?
2: That is a really diplomatic way of, yes, it was from seeing flyers that were less than impressive. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was actively mad because burlesque, more often than not, especially classic burlesque shows, but so many burlesque shows are about selling an illusion Mm -hmm. of fantasy and beauty and opulence right and it's really hard to sell fantasy and beauty and opulence when what you're putting out is shit and these (laughs) flyers are shit and you know there has to be a point where we're like hey guys if we're promising an audience something beautiful maybe deliver it on something beautiful start from the first thing they're gonna see sure tell them what they can expect and You know, if what they can expect is weird, then do something weird, but it it should still be legible, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Well, also, like, I've noticed for your shows recently, you've been doing, because Facebook now allows you to post video banners, you've been actually doing video banners.
2: Yeah, I'm a crazy person. So
1: are you you creating those yourself, the video banners? I
2: am. Um, I play around a lot in Adobe Premiere these days and After Effects, so I've been just trying to up my game in creating graphics. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful because they get more views sometimes. Sure. Um, Yeah. The the Facebook and Instagram algorithms are constantly changing, but like sometimes videos land on people's news feeds more often than photos. Yeah. Um, So it's helpful to have both. And it's just really cool to comb through everybody's videos and be like, oh yeah, that little hip bump you did was great. I'm going to borrow that (laughs) three seconds from that video in order to make my 30 second promo and maybe like boost it and make it like a little commercial. (laughs)
1: which is actually a neat idea it's it's funny like now that i'm i've gone from doing you know only a couple shows a month to way more and so i'm i'm getting in the flow of promoting stuff and learning how to do that especially with the algorithms and what's fascinating to me is the rise in clicks from posting a picture with the show info versus sharing the event like if you share an event it just disappears
2: nobody can see when you share an event Burlesque performers, nobody can see you when you're sharing an event. Do not post the link to your event in your post. Put it in your comments because Facebook does. They hide it.
1: And it's just so bizarre to me. It's just like... You know, you'd think you'd want, you know, I don't know. It it would make sense for Facebook to want to promote these things that people are promoting. But yeah, like now, and so now I'm coming through awkward photos of myself just to find (laughs) things to share.
2: Well, the reasoning on Facebook's end is that they want you to pay for advertising. And if you're sharing events, then you're advertising something, right? right? The problem is that you can't pay to promote a burlesque event. Because it's considered
1: it's, pornography. It's
2: considered pornography. Which
1: is stupid.
2: It's so stupid. Yeah. Because, like, I'm really, I'm just dancing as a character from Candyland, damn we're, it. We're only mostly
1: <laughs> naked. I'm not even naked. Um, well, uh, going back to though, um, since we're meandering around a bit, um, your show with Wassabasco. So, they recently shifted back to doing weekly shows at the Waystation is this something that you approached um, Wasabasco about, or they approached you?
2: Um, So I was hosting All the Way, which was the Friday night monthly show at The Way Station, and I was hosting All the Way for a few years, Mm -hmm. like two or three years, and you know, it started out me just being, like, in every All The Way hosting. And then I was the host of All The Way. And then when they decided to move to Weekly, Doc was like, hey, you get a show in this <laughs> new format. i was like, oh, no. Okay. was <laughs> like, yeah, it'll be fun. Think about what you want and what, like, what would make it more unique to you. I'm like, okay, what's unique to me? Unicorns. I can't have a unicorn show. Um... <laughs> performers of color is that weird is it weird if a wasabasco show is all performers of color i don't know and then i kept thinking of a lot of other things and i kept landing on that i'm like i really i want i don't want it to be the performer of color show right but i want to have a vehicle for performers of color primarily sure um Especially since the, sometimes the burlesque scene can feel like, okay, I'm looking at a flyer and I see a blonde Betty Page and I see a brunette Betty Page and I yeah, see yeah, a redhead yeah. Betty Page totally. and then there's the token black girl. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of times that's me. A lot of times I'm the token black girl. And there there have been times where I'm backstage with people it's like, oh, we're together in the same show. Oh, that's because it's Black History Month, you know? Like, uh, we really, like, we yeah. don't perform together ever. And then the last few All the Ways were like, me and Delicia Lachette and Jeanne Adagio and Quam's Galore and Sydney. It's like all these amazing performers of color on the same stage at the same time. I'm like, why can't we have just this, like more of this? There's plenty of everything else elsewhere, but like once a month, let's do that. Um, So that is a part of what the Kita St. Cyr show is. Um... So, yeah, I wanted to call it something. I didn't want to call it, like, Keto's Caramel Delights. It's, like, (laughs) gross, objectifying the fact that we're all brown. It's weird. Um, and Are you still
1: the <laughs> caramel cutie with the apple booty? I
2: am still the caramel okay. cutie with the apple booty because I like a good pun, and that's about caramel apples. Yes, and my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I hear
1: like what you're saying about naming the show.
2: Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't come up with anything good. And one day, Doc's like, "I think it's the key to Saint Sears show." I'm like, "Let me keep thinking about it." <laughs> and then, like the next month, he's like, "It's the key to Saint Sears show." I'm like, "Okay,
1: we'll, we'll just we'll go <laughs> we'll with just that." Do that.
2: Um. And you know me being who I am, I'm like it's the Kita Saint Cyr show. That means there's gonna be storytelling, and there's gonna be a TED Talk about my sex life, and maybe I'll sing in one. You know, and I'm planning on doing a word on the street and calling the segment Kitty Street Cry. <laughs> oh my God. which is that's actually a hundred percent how i got introduced at a show once
1: uh, kitty street cry <laughs> kitty
2: street cry nasty said it's like the google translate of my name oh yeah
1: that's true because <laughs> c r c y yeah. r yeah okay i see yeah
2: kitty street cry it was all wrong Kid, everything about that show was wrong even um so that show where I got introduced as Kitty Street Cry, other noteworthy things that happened were um, the DJ tried telling me that I could go on tour with him and Snoop Dogg. Okay. Um, cool. And, sure. <laughs> and also in the days preceding that show, there were a series of protests. This was in a, a small county in Pennsylvania and the church was protesting the fact that there was a burlesque show. And there were a couple of newspaper articles about it, and in one the show was called "Lewd and Immoral," and I still use that as a pull quote. I am <laughs> lewd the is, lewd and immoral key to Saint Cyr.
1: Excellent. <laughs> uh, that that's interesting. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the burlesque industry is not without controversy, to say the least.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and I don't want really to get into too much of it because I don't. I I, I hate. Finger pointing It's just, it's not helpful. But,
2: but it's all... No, I'm kidding. Oh.
1: But, but, but I've also tried, like... I got into a surprisingly deep... Not surprisingly deep because she's not deep, but just for me to go down that rabbit hole with Evelyn when she was on the show. We talked about the slipper room debacle and all of that nonsense. Yeah. You know, and of course, if I'm going to talk about any of that stuff, like, as a straight-presenting white guy, Mm -hmm. I like to have a person who can speak to it more than my experience, which would definitely not be the same. But, like, I feel like also, like, talking about you producing the show and having a place for people of color and, you know, producing in general, I've learned a lot just starting to barely do some producing with Magical Girl Burlesque. Do you find producing in the current burlesque community harder, easier, constantly changing
2: i don't think about the burlesque community so i don't know like like and that's that's a little like i don't know her um (laughs) and that's on purpose like i think that there are a lot of aspects about burlesque that point to it having a serious problem with race and a serious Mm -hmm. problem with discussing race like grownups and without it turning into a well what about love and what about empowerment and it's like yeah love and empowerment means like not punching down yeah and recognizing where privileges exist
1: sure of course
2: um so like when i think about like i'm not the producer of the key to st. Cyr show i'm a i have some creative direction in it okay i have a a lot of creative direction, like surprisingly <laughs> for a Wasabasco so show.
1: For example, are uh, you booking the 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 performers for that show?
2: Doc and I talk about who I would like to have, and he reaches out to performers. And some gotcha. of them are like regular Wasabasco people, and some of them are people who I just really enjoy and don't think they get enough time on stage. That's and I know awesome. like Doc hasn't seen them yet, and yeah. they're really talented. So that's great. Yeah, we're trying to mix it up a little bit. Um, but yeah.
1: Well, I mean, but that's good though that you feel like you can kind of almost step away from it and just engage in the art the way you want to, you yeah. know, and and continue to push up and promote and not punch down. I think yeah. it's it's really hard a lot of burlesque shows, you know, don't either don't want to book newbies because, you know, they're afraid of them not being any good or people of color because they have an image finger quotes like yeah. it's and it's just I'm glad that you after all these years that you've been doing burlesque that you feel like and have you know, you're in this place where you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do what I wanna do, more yeah. or less.
2: Like we're we're not booking newbies per se for the Keto Scenes here show. We're sure. just booking people who aren't regulars in Was Bosco productions. Sure. Um, but they perform elsewhere and they're mm-hmm. like immensely talented. Um I'm not anti-newbie. I love newbies. Sure. I love them. They're so fun. They're not, they haven't been tainted by it all yet. I they know, don't right? have the, the, like, I have to look like this. I have to be Dita, you know? And they, can, <laughs> they can go on stage and feel music and have fun, and I enjoy that. Um, Is it bad
1: that, like, if I'm talking about burles- burlesque and someone, like, off to the side goes, oh, I love Dita Von T's, I just write them off. <laughs> like, and I love Dita, she's beautiful, whatever, but... Like, I, when that's the go-to, it's like, or, oh, I love that movie. <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, they, both of those things have their place. Like, sure. Dita's sure. great, and she, like, Burlesque would not be a household name without her. Of course. Uh, the movie was, I thought it was fun. <laughs> it wasn't good, but it was <laughs> fun. <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a very kind and fair way of uh, rating that movie.
2: <laughs> no, I really enjoyed it. I think Christina Aguilera was beautiful. I think Cher is without flaw.
1: <laughs> that's fair I mean she is yeah. she's pretty much going to live forever
2: now. yeah like, um, it's just... Stanley Tucci was asleep during that movie but that's okay because <laughs> well, he earned it well,
1: uh... <laughs> that's fine he's, he's asleep in a lot of movies but he's still charming so he, it's fine
2: yeah he earned that shit whatever <laughs> the rest of us have to try yeah um, that's true yeah but yeah no, you know burlesque is a lot of things to a lot of people and I think that that's part of why I don't really look at what else is happening in burlesque when I think about a show because it's like it, the Slipper Room can do whatever the hell they want, you know, yeah. and they do. They, they continue to have great performers, sure, despite being run by a racist. Right. I, <laughs> whatever. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you have nothing <laughs> to apologize for.
1: There are no, there's no love lost between me and the Slipper Room. I'm, I love some of the performers who perform there. I'm a little I confused am.
2: by it. I think that there's more than enough opportunity in the burlesque scene. That's I think what that,
1: confuses me.
2: Yeah, and I think that if we all could once again have conversations. Like adults. Like grownups that don't devolve into you're bullying me because we're not four years old. Um, That we could have conversations about fair pay and burlesque and we wouldn't have to rely on doing shows with people whose morals we feel gray about. Right. Um, That being said, because nobody who is not a burlesque performer cares about any of that. (laughs) That's true. I make a show for the people who come to the show. And I make a show for people who like to escape their lives and have a good time. And usually, more often than not, I get on stage and... Say a little something tangentially related to the environment that we're in right, right now, which has been oh my god, the world is on fire for the better part of a year. Yeah, um, or, but you can only
1: talk about that so much before it's like a, you're a broken record and you get you know, it's I, exhausting. Yeah, I,
2: I don't want to get on stage and be like, oh my god, Trump did this, oh my god, is he even sorry? I never mention any of that stuff by name, I try to just be like, hey guys what we're gonna do in 2018 is have better sex with people who deserve it (laughs) what we're gonna do in 2018 is like take care of each other and reach out to people that we know might be struggling under what's going on and we're gonna continue to make beautiful shit and enjoy things together and dance and listen to music and drink if that's your jam and just like live while we're here because it's so temporary We're not here alone.
1: That's true, in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, considering how long you've been doing burlesque, how often do you now create new acts versus when you start? Because I know a lot of the performers who I've talked to, when they've started, it's like they feel like they need a new act every (laughs) month initially to, like, get things rolling, and then it tapers off. Do you still create new acts frequently?
2: I create new acts infrequently Mm -hmm. Um, I think I average two ish a year two or three a year Um, and it's very for the last few years it's been very purposeful you know Mm -hmm. Um, a couple years ago I started making I started a sketchbook Like, what what is this word of this thing I've had in (laughs) my hand literally my entire life I started a sketchbook specifically for my burlesque numbers. Oh, so nice. I would have a chapter where it's all my Emerald Act or mm-hmm. I would have a chapter where it's all my Puerto Rico tribute act or mm-hmm. all the Candyland act. And I'd have a mood page. I would skip, sketch out the costume. I would list the pieces in the costume. I would list repairs that need to be done. And then I would just write about the act. Who am I? Who's my character? What am I trying to portray? What are like historical references? And it changes. I I spend like 10 pages going on at length about like, I'm a lotus, and I represent rebirth. And then (laughs) on the next page, I'm like, I'm a dragon now. (laughs) 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 Because the more you think through these things, the more they evolve. And in doing that sketchbook, I've become a lot more organized as a performer, but also I realized like, I should put this somewhere where people can see it and look at it kind of as a tasting menu and be Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, the dragon lotus. That sounds cool. Do that at my show on the 20th. So I made myself a press kit, which I feel... That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like every performer should have a press kit that talks about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It is excruciating to make. Sure. Because you have to, like, there's one page that just lists my skills, and it, like... It's so ridiculous. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I do all this? Why?
1: Do I? Am I
2: I lying? I don't... I'm not. I really do. Are you saying it's difficult
1: (laughs) to talk about yourself in a positive light and promote your work? Right. Yeah. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) like.
2: And then on the next page, I have to, like, you put a bio about who you are and why you started performing and how long you've been performing. And for me, I have to also put, like, I am the only performer of color and the only performer in New York that's been sanctioned by Saint, Satan's angel. And yeah. I have like an E29 from the FDNY and I do this and I do that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you spend like 20 pages talking about what your acts are and attaching photos and trying to describe this thing that you know like really deep in your soul but you've never had to put words <laughs> to. <laughs> and whereas we can describe them to producers like, it's my green act. I have a really long stocking peel. It is slutty. I hump a stage. You can't put that in your press kit. No, (laughs)
1: you you definitely can't.
2: I mean, maybe you could. I can't. But somebody out there could. Um, (laughs) And if that's you, just use it. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, and that has really helped me in organizing what I have. And it's helped me think about what I want to create moving forward. So last year, I created two new acts, very different from each other. One of them has extensive floor work and one of them is a tribute to Puerto Rico and it's really beautiful and it's really high energy. And sure. It's a lot. Um, this year I am only working on Nerd Less Gags, which is silly, because they're also really like high budget, not high budget, but high production value. Um, like one of them, one of them is a tribute to Starfire, because it's all I do.
1: I mean, and your <laughs> star yeah, but also your Starfire costume is amazing, and you look amazing in it. So you know, like... there have been
2: three of them. Really? Yeah, and you've seen them all. They're just, the differences the, the, are minor so differences, minor. Differences, yeah. It's like, yeah, this this spandex has sparkles
1: in it. <laughs> Burn
2: the other one. <laughs> um. Yeah, I...
1: But also, now that, like, I mean, you've been playing with fire for so long, it only makes sense that you would make a starfire act.
2: Yeah, this one is a lot of fun because I've been playing with Warbla, which Ooh. is, for the uninitiated, a thermoplastic that you heat it up and you glue it to itself and it looks like armor if you do it right. <laughs> um, and I'm doing it right. It's really cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's like a renaissance warrior-inspired... Starfire. Like, yeah, one of the things that always bothered me about Starfire is they started with this amazing character who is all about love and like she's gone through this really hard life but she's still a badass, you know? And then they turned her into like a mindless sex bot in New Fifty Two. And they kind of stepped it back a little yeah. later, but like it wasn't enough. So, like, originally my thought process was going to be, I'm going to make every single Starfire costume in chronological order. Not (laughs) in the order that they released, but in order of her life. So, like, starting with Teen Titans Go and then Teen Titans Animated Series and then, like, going through, like... George Perez, Starfire, mm-hmm. going through the, the new ones, the Starfire uh, series that just came out where she has that long-sleeve, short-short situation and just ending with New 52. And then I realized, it's stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 spandex doesn't work like that in real life, and I will never stop sewing. And, you know, what I really want is to empower Starfire. So I'm looking a lot at 1985 Starfire. I'm looking at... Um, Judas contract starfire and then i'm just looking at like old armor and wiling out that's amazing (laughs) that's really cool yeah and um because i just watched Judas contract again i really want to pick up some more staff moves because i'm not a great staff performer so that's my um my challenge to myself in the new starfire act is like do some contact staff make it look cool make it look like i can kick some ass
1: that's awesome yeah well i have no doubt that you can kick some ass anyway (laughs) but but this leads me to believe that you have some deep cut comic book feels as well apparently (laughs) no (laughs) not you so is starfire your favorite comic book character
2: starfire is my favorite comic book character she's the one i relate to the most like yeah
1: i can't imagine one (laughs) The, the funny thing is so like my experience with teen titans was pretty limited in the beginning like i really dug deep with the awesome animated series we're ignoring teen titans go here it's, <laughs> it's ser- so dumb it's, it's so
2: dumb. it
1: serves its purpose like i get it as a kid show i totally get it it's no different than like dexter's lab and johnny bravo and what i grew up it with is, though. is it is it is like it, it, is it worse
2: it's Yes, okay, and here's, I'm gonna try not to go too in-depth about Teen Titans Go, but it is strangely utilitarian and strangely, like, um, capitalist. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. Um, My sister gave birth recently, Mm -hmm. right? And she was in labor for 24 hours, which means that we were in a waiting room for 24 hours. And for seemingly 20 of those hours, they were playing Teen Titans Go. And I hadn't watched a lot of it mm-hmm. until that day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're priming children to be just consumers. And, you know, that's what all these kids' shows are now. That's what My Little Pony is. Definitely, even though bronies don't want to admit it, that yeah, but I mean was it was. When we to were kids toys.
1: too. Like I mean, <laughs> the, the Transformers was a toy before it was a cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon was essentially to sell the toys. So yeah. you know, you know. But, uh,
2: but Teen Titans Go is not that. They're not trying to sell that toy. They're trying to sell everything. everything. They're trying to make you believe like you need to buy a new TV that you can sit in front of while eating the pizza that you. Purchased And, like, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's such a weird show. And it's so, like, the antithesis of the amazing animated series. Right.
1: Like, that but, series was really great. And, got like, I was always a fan of Robin and Cyborg and Beast Boy. But I hadn't actually known the female characters that well. And they got you so in-depth, especially with Raven and Starfire and their backstory and their families and, like, what they come from. Which was great for me. And, they like, they focus on the other characters, too. But they let you kind of, with Robin, just go, you know who Robin is. Yeah. Like, you know he's... Whichever version this is, he's still more or less the son of Batman. Um, Like one of my favorite moments in the whole series is when Slade brainwashes Robin and Robin starts working for him. He says, you know, Slade says, think of me like a father. And he's like, I already have a father. And then bats fly past. It's like, you know, cool um, Easter egg moments in that show. And it was really well made to then shift to Teen Titans Go, which just lacks all the substance and cool superhero stuff. But I didn't really know much of Teen Titans until that point, and then I went back and read some of the older comics and saw how they were introduced and how it wasn't always those five characters and that it shifted around a bunch. Yeah. And, like, Blue Beetle was in the Teen Titans and all of these other characters – when did you first get into Teen Titans since the Starfire um, is one of your favorites?
2: Yeah, from the animated series. Um, I think everyone in our general age range...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think we're close to the same age. We are. <laughs> everyone in our genera- general age range definitely watched that series. Sure. And it was so much fun and it was so cute. And the character development was really well thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It was fairly recently that, I say fairly recently, it was probably 10 years ago, um, <laughs> that I realized, like, wow, this is a really great show. You know what I don't do enough of? Read comic books. <laughs> I'm going to look up, I'm going to fall down a rabbit hole at 2 in the morning, because that's what I do, and just, like, look up Teen Titans and see what their deal is. And it turns out, like, really amazing storytelling existed yeah. from a long time ago, and you never hear about Any of these guys except for Robin and now Cyborg with Justice League, the
1: new movie, yeah, Uh,
2: which I liked. I haven't seen it, so (laughs) I can't
1: comment. Yeah, I saw Wonder Woman, which I loved, and then. It had its problems, I know. Don't jump down my throat. I know it's not a perfect movie, but I I still liked
2: it. I I liked it, too. I I don't think it's fair for us to expect perfection out of anything just because it's, like, the feminist movie. Like, yeah, uh, let it have flaws. Every other movie has flaws, too.
1: Right. And, I mean, I still think that Gal Gadot is, like, a perfect human. So (laughs) I'm fine with that.
2: It's Gal Gadot. It's Gadot. because it's
1: (laughs) She's Jewish.
2: Is it really good, though?
1: Yeah, according to my daughter of a rabbi wife. Oh uh, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. She would know.
1: Um, <laughs> I thought it was good, though, as well. Yeah. Um, like waiting but, for. But I didn't see Justice League mostly because I did hate Batman vs Superman, and I'm like, I don't want to pay money for a movie that I'm not gonna like.
2: I hated Batman vs Superman too, uh, or as well. Um, <laughs> and also, I didn't understand why Cafe Bene had such prominent product placement. <laughs> Why does Lex Corp have a Cafe Bene? I don't understand.
1: so bizarre.
2: Um, but fine. But I so Justice League is extremely imperfect. Sure. Um, the very end after the credits is really exciting to me. Okay. Um, and I would suggest looking up that.
1: Okay. I mean, like for me, you know, uh, I've watched plenty of flawed movies and enjoyed them. I mean, I actually unironically liked. The second live action, finger quotes, Ninja Turtles movie. I thought it was fun. And Seamus, who's a wrestler, was, uh, was I, he Bebop or Roxy? He was Rocksteady.
2: I hear he's daddy.
1: And yes, according to Bunny and <laughs> he's daddy, apparently. Um, that is
2: all I know of Seamus, is Bunny and lo- fangirling. On I him. love
1: watching, her as someone who grew up watching wrestling and watching, like, Schaefer refall fall in love with it, because I know he liked it probably around the same time I did, and Bunny getting really into it, just watching her nerd out about this wrestler is really fun <laughs> to me. It's so cute. Um... um
2: um, I have kind of been really fascinated by Sasha Banks, and I think it's because she looks like Starfire.
1: <laughs> like, do you, yeah.
2: do you think so? I like, can see that, <laughs> sure, yeah, I see that. Like the pink hair and the purple spandex. I'm like, are you
1: Starfire? I'm going to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the talking about how you're focusing on nerd acts for this year and how you've been making less acts... Have you also, I know a lot of performers have retired acts. I know, I'm pretty sure you retired your tiki act, right? I
2: retired the tiki.
1: You know, and I remember, (laughs) so I remember... Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, I I knew I met – Kita was one of the first performers I got to know really well, her and her now husband, Fernando. Um, I met very in the early days of Wasabasco, uh, my experience with Wasabasco and Burlesque in general. So I've watched you evolve over the years. But the act that I always watched you perform and lug that damn thing around was that tiki act. <laughs> so what was the inspiration to, to retire that? Had you just – thought it ran its course. Were you tired of lugging the tiki around? I was
2: not tired of lugging the tiki around. If I felt okay doing the act, I would do it every day until the day I die. Uh-huh. I feel like it's such a great act. I feel like it was continuing to evolve, and I feel like it is not genuine for me to talk about my experience as a Puerto Rican and my experience mm. as a performer of color and still appropriate somebody else's culture.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Um,
2: On its surface, like the pieces of the act are also beautiful. Right. And my reasoning for sticking to Exotica as a genre for as long as I have, um, I still believe in my reasoning, which was exotica as we know it in america or tiki culture or whatever you want to call it right um was an amalgam of a lot of different things right and that includes latin culture as it was seen through the lens of americans who are just starting to discover it um and so a lot of latin jazz was a part of that and like any tiki bar you go to one of the main drinks that's featured is a pina colada which was invented in puerto rico and i feel like that there is really not a whole lot of representation of my culture in the 1940s and 50s, which is the golden age of Hollywood glamour and burlesque. Right. And that was what I could find to right. latch on to. Um, the thing is, like, tikis are still, like, kind of bastardized versions of Polynesian gods. Right. And specifically, that is not a part of my culture. There are statues and heads that are Puerto Rican, but, like, it's too much of a stretch. It's not worth justifying, and especially to an audience that doesn't understand the difference. Sure. Um, I think this is the first time I'm actually talking about and explaining it out loud to anyone.
1: Sure, but, I mean, but that <laughs> makes sense. And honestly, like, yeah. now that you talk about it that way, like, it seems obvious to me, but... You know, again, as a fan of burlesque, I kind of take it at face value. You know, I'll start to dissect as I see more of stuff. But with that act, it was always just Kita's doing her tiki act. That's all I thought of it as. And so that's really interesting. But I think also really a mature way of stepping back from something that you know doesn't feel right. Like, and this is not the same thing, but like growing up a gamer there's language used on in online gaming that was inappropriate
2: Totally yeah saying
1: certain words and and, and comparing certain acts to you know decimating your team and all that stuff I'm not going to go into the details gamers know what I'm talking about <laughs> yes. but like saying that language like when I was younger I didn't think anything of it a, because when I was younger, I was lucky enough to have not experienced those things, but also didn't know a lot of people who did. Yeah. But then, of course, as I got older and started still using it and people would call me, I'm like, oh, this is not okay. Yeah. But it's hard to know when you're you're focused on one thing in the arts to or in, in everyday life to know what it reaches beyond. So the fact that you eventually realized that and decided to retire it in response, I think is really brilliant and forward-thinking.
2: Yeah. It, you know, like, I am not a perfect human.
0: Of course not. Nobody is.
2: (laughs) I, contrary to popular belief, of course. Um, but, like, we all fuck up. I fuck up. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the Tiki Act is, I don't think of it as a fuck up. I think of it as, like, a misguided attempt to do something that can still end up being harmful. Right. And, you know, I think for me, it's more important to not be harmful than it is to create something the way that I envisioned it.
1: Sure.
2: Um, that said, the the overall structure of the Tiki Act, where I pop out of a barrel mm-hmm. and then climb down from the barrel and then dance around the barrel and then go back on top of and balance that. It, I'm bringing that structure back just with a different number. And... That number's so prop-heavy, and it keeps me up at night. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm doing a tribute to Drogon from Game of Thrones. (laughs) So I'm popping out of a dragon egg instead of a tiki. Ah. And, you know, the the thing is that now that I am um, a more experienced performer and a little bit more confident, it's like, well... Okay, I can pop out of a dragon egg, but what if I pop out of a dragon egg and I have these wings? And what if the (laughs) wings open mechanically? And what if after they've opened, I set them on fire? Of course. Of course. Um, So that That sounds amazing. It's gonna be so awesome. I'm aiming for an October debut of that, uh, which sucks because it's after the season at Coney Island, which is one of the only places I can imagine actually performing it. Right um but it it's really cool fernando and i are arguing about motors right now (laughs) (laughs) i'm like linear actuator he's like no power window motor i'm like you don't
1: The 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 choreography for that act was also the same act where you would jump and drop to your knees, right?
2: Yeah, yes, Uh, I did that in a couple acts.
1: I always okay, so I know we've talked about this before, but I always have to bring it up because every time you did it, I would just immediately go, ah!
2: No, my knees are garbage now.
1: It's one of those things that, you know, you don't and, – and, like, to wrap back around to – before we wrap up to, to fire, fire spitting and, you know, flaming swords and all of the firework that you've been doing, you know, having a threshold for pain is not uncommon in a lot of burlesque performers I know who do ridiculous things on stage. But – um I've always wondered and I mean there's no probably no simple answer of yes or no, but like when you're doing fire eating and fire breathing, I know there's heat, but is there actual pain? Does it hurt? Does it burn? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. If you're doing it right, it shouldn't if hurt. If you're
2: doing it right, it shouldn't hurt. There are some things that you can do that will be uncomfortable the first few times you do them. There there are physical tools that it takes on your body. Mm-hmm. Um and those can be immediate when you're learning vapor locks or even when you're learning some certain kinds of fire extinguishes. Your lips are going to be fucked. They <laughs> just are. And, like, you know, maybe you'll look like uh, one of the Kardashian Jenners and have really cute swollen lips. And, like, maybe you'll just look like you caught something. And it'll be <laughs> unfortunate. But, like, it fucks your lips up. It does. Um
1: Well, I remember, like, fire safety, like, uh, the first, something performers have always told me is you cannot breathe in when you're doing... Don't breathe in. Yeah, do not breathe in. That's, like, the
2: only rule. Don't breathe in. Because
1: you will just incinerate your insides.
2: Yeah, you don't want to end up on an iron lung. You don't. (laughs) Jeez. No, I mean, like,
1: But safety seems really important with fire... (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I, like that's obvious, but I think like there's this overstressing of safety because, you know, it's dangerous it's and people fire, kind of, yeah. people kind of go, oh, I can do that. It's no big deal. Yeah. And it's like, no, it is a big deal. It's, and You should treat it that it's way. It's
2: totally a big deal. Um, the, oh God, I love fire so much. Um, I really... I want to structure like a fire science class for children Ooh. and like if I end up going back to the renaissance fair as an independent performer that's how I would like it to be mm. um teaching science through fire maybe I'm a friend of da Vinci I don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like this is something I'm really passionate about the science of fire I'm not going to explain how fire eating works it's stupid of um, course but fire in general always travels up you yep and it is real fire you know (laughs) it's my head that's fake yeah um (laughs) but like yeah it it burns and it it takes three seconds for the human skin to burn Mm -hmm. uh, all things considered if it's a regular flame without some kind of metal or ridiculous accelerant um but like three seconds goes by relatively quickly when you panic sure um and like On a day-to-day basis, we travel throughout the world with so many extremely flammable things. Like, this dress that I'm wearing right now is beautiful. It's a beautiful dress. It's off the shoulder, and it's covered in stars. Um, We'll take a selfie. (laughs) We'll take a selfie. So people can see it. It's from Target. Um, But, like, it is completely synthetic, and if it caught fire right now, it would drip with gross black stuff, and it'd be terrifying. And if that (laughs) got on my skin, I would need a skin graft. It's gross. Um... (laughs) Just don't play with fire, kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, there are so many ways in which it can go wrong, and even people who know what they're doing get overexcited and fuck it up. Sure. Um, like, I posted something recently. Uh, I posted a video on my Facebook page of, like, someone who went on stage. Someone else had fire. She was a performer. She had this giant feather headdress. the feather headdress caught fire and went up like it was gone in less than three seconds it was amazing i've never seen anything travel that fast yeah and you know we're we're burlesque performers and we're showmen and we want to go on stage and be very large and very sparkly and you know you can't do that when you have fire because that's a thing that can happen you can you can catch you can hurt yourself you can hurt people around you and then you can accidentally change fire code for years and years to come and make it impossible for me to do my Drogon Act anywhere that's not Coney Island. (laughs) Which is really the important takeaway here. Right, is that
1: you need to do this act. Yeah. Um... I think that, you know, and and I, I said this in passing before, you are one of the very first people I met in Burlesque, and to see how your career has shifted and grown and for you to step back and come forward again, you know. And, I, I you know, no matter how often I see you, I feel like I don't see you enough because, yeah. you know, you're one of my dearest friends just in Burlesque and outside of it. But I think what's really cool is to really see you grow even outside of Burlesque, that, the you know, the all the firework... Yes, you're mixing it with burlesque now, but you just were interested in fire, interested in the Renaissance fair, and the fact that you're mixing all of these things together and continuing to try to mix them together, I think, is really brilliant. Is there any trade or show-related thing that you have not done that you want to work on next or learn next? Yeah. Of course. I knew there was an answer. That's why I asked.
2: Uh, you know, it's like... So it's really frustrating having a short attention span because while you want to work to perfect what you're doing, and I do work really hard to perfect what I'm doing, I also really, really, really want to do everything. <laughs> um, I, my husband and I keep talking about doing a duet. <laughs> <Eey>! <laughs>
1: it's about time.
2: It, it's not this year. Um, it may not be next year, but we he took a German wheel class recently. Oh,
1: cool. And really
2: enjoyed it. Um, he is claiming he needs to focus on conditioning first. I think that he is made of amazingly adorable lean muscle, and (laughs) he'll be fine. Um, but I would love for us to do a German wheel and dragon staff duet eventually. That'd
1: be really cool.
2: Yeah, um, and that means me learning German wheel. Uh, we both spin a little dragon staff, and we're gonna keep practicing, um... yeah that's that's my goal is to make some art with fernando that's like big and like i think it's funny because people don't expect for him to step on stage but he's actually like he's got personality he's very charismatic Yeah, i think he could have some stage presence
1: i absolutely agree i think that that's wonderful first of all i think that you know, couple artistic couples don't have to do art together, but when they can, it's really magical. Yeah, and so I'm excited to hear that you guys are working on something like that.
2: <laughs> it's it's a long way off. Sure. Um. Yeah. But, but now yeah. I can bother
1: him about it. I mean, I've also do it. <laughs> so many tangents in the episode, but, but but like I've talked to Scott Hazleton and Fern about all of us taking a boy less class together. Oh yay! Mostly just because I feel like if nothing else, it'll make me more confident about my body. Mm. Which I'm not that unconfident about. But I know I can move, and I know I could probably move well. I just, if I took a class, then I would feel better about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would ever perform, because I have my hands in so many different worlds. But I would definitely want to learn how to perform. <laughs> I think just having that knowledge would give me confidence.
2: Yeah, especially since you're a burlesque. Adjacent, yeah. more than burlesque adjacent. At you're this point, yeah, in burlesque. Yeah, but you're I mean, if I learned performer. how to
1: do burlesque and took a burlesque boy last class, I would probably perform at a show that I was hosting. Absolutely. Um, But it's not anything that, like, I have an end goal with. I just think if nothing else, it will definitely make me more comfortable on stage. I also want to take an improv class for the same reason. Yeah. Because I know that a lot of performers have done that, and it's helped with their hosting and their performing.
2: Yeah. Improv is so great. You're just playing. You're just getting out there and playing and, like, giving yourself permission to put something out and fail and continue to put things out there, which is a lot of what burlesque is, too. Burlesque itself is not improv, but I definitely think there's an aspect of it when you're hosting.
1: Sure. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, totally. And I've learned that getting up on stage and, like, shedding my stage fright... But still, like, saying a joke and watching it not land at all and just, compl- <laughs> like, go over the entire audience's head and I go, this isn't as terrifying as I thought it would be because yeah. I could just move on to the next thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then also having that skill of, like, knowing when to pursue something and knowing when to leave it alone or, like... Oh, yeah, I've learned that, yeah, too. Yeah. And, like, being generous with your partners and when you're a host, your partners are both the audience and your fellow performers. Yep. So that's... Take an improv class. It's fun.
1: It's good. It's helpful. (laughs) All right. I will. Um, (laughs) Keita Saint Sayer, thank you for joining me. Hey,
2: thank you for having me.
1: Um, This was a long time coming. you know, you're a very close friend of mine and I've loved everything we've done together from working in shows to being on the other podcasts and now being on this one. So thank you. Yay. Um, the last thing I'll ask you to do is do our sign off, which I'm pretty sure you're familiar with.
2: No, I forget everything. Huh? Of
1: course you forget everything. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's music is life and life is good. I'd love for you to sign us off.
2: Okay. Music is life and life is good.
0: If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.